Well, welcome everybody. Look over at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. It's good to have all of you also joining us online today. Um, we're going to continue on in the series we started last week called Reaching America. And uh, how many of you can tell me what Mark 16, verse 15 says? Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Amen. That's what we're called to do. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, I want to assure you that what you see before you just in this sanctuary is not all we're doing. There is, this message goes out into all the world, literally. There are people from Africa. There are people from Thailand. Uh, there are people from Guyana. Uh, I can just, I, I can go in and see where people have been joining us online. And so, uh, never before have we been able to have this kind of an outreach. In fact, uh, there, is, there are more that we have a, a bigger online congregation than we do in-person congregation. I think a lot of churches are, are seeing that uh, for some reason since COVID. Uh, but uh, I think it's because a lot of churches that didn't have an online have an online now. But uh, today we're going we're gonna to continue to do what God's told us to do, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now I want you to say this, that means me. That means you, okay? It's not just for the church, but it means us. It means every one of us. Now, when you're trying to talk to somebody about the gospel of Christ, you need to do it like building a house. Now, what I mean by that, when you build a house, you don't start with the shingles and the siding. What do you start with, everyone? Foundation. And you dig that hole, you pour in that foundation, and then you put the walls on, and then you put the roof on. But far too often, what has happened is the church has been trying to fulfill that great commission of reaching all the world for Christ with walls and roof, with shingles and siding. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that in just a minute. For a lot of people, the shingles and siding don't make sense because there's no foundation. And so, as I shared with you last week, our young people in our schools have been educated in our school systems that have been giving them, now walk with me on this, they have been giving them a foundation of evolution. They've been giving them millions of years old earth. No God, no prayer in class, no pledge of allegiance, no belief in absolutes, and current, current statistics that I shared with you last week reveal the truth that truth in our culture is under attack. The meaning of the word truth has become personalized to where when you speak to someone about the truth of God's word, you may get this back, oh, well, that's not my truth. But I'm just here to announce to you today, truth is not something you can take and personalize it. 
truth is truth whether you believe it or not. Amen? You know, I, I remember years ago there was a bumper sticker that used to say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, and that's good. It's good to know what God said, and it's good that you believe it. But I just want to rephrase that a little bit. God said it, and that settles it. So even if you don't believe what God said, it still doesn't change the truth of God's Word. So what I want to do is I'm going to take you through some slides today just as well. And again, those of you that are watching online, you're not going to be able to see these slides, but I know you'll be able to still follow along with me. And uh, while, while you are there online, go ahead in your Bibles and get to Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 17, because that's where we're going to kind of hang out a little bit today. Are you ready to get into the Word of God? So the way to reach a secularized America is right now here with the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to preach that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So, the way we reach a secularized America with the gospel, however, because we live in such a culture that does not understand God or who He is anymore the way it used to, we have to lay the foundation that we find in Scripture, specifically in Genesis. How many of you know it's best to begin at the beginning of a book than at the end? I mean, you can start in Revelation, but if you don't know what happened in Genesis, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So we have to start with the foundation. And this is the foundation. God is creator. Everybody say, God created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? That's right there in the beginning. So God is the creator. Everybody say, one God. Sin entered the world, which brought death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, that's the foundation. That's the foundation. So in order for a person to get saved, they got to know they're lost, right? And sin is what causes us to be separating. So that is foundational. So knowledge to then understand why God's Son stepped into history. And He stepped into history to be crucified on the cross and to die, and then what? Be raised from the dead. That is the power of the gospel. Are you with me? Okay? So then one day there will be a consummation of all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and that is the hope of the gospel. Are you walking with me? Okay? So when many people think about the gospel today, and a lot of emphasis that the church has put on evangelism in our churches is that we are concentrating on the power and the hope of the gospel, but what we do is we're assuming the foundation is there. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying that we now have generations where not only do they not have the foundation, they have the wrong foundation. Can I get an amen? 
Here's the foundation so many people that you're going to rub shoulders with today have. It's where man determines the truth. The foundation built by an education system that has thrown God, the Bible, prayer, and creation out of the equation. In fact, I just read this uh, in the news t- uh, this, this week that this school year, 1.4 million less children are in the public school system. 2020 revealed a lot. 2020 revealed a lot of what was going on in the schools that the parents didn't know. Now, that foundation in our culture is that man is determining truth. It's the foundation of naturalism. It's the foundation of atheism. That's what it is. And so, to help us understand this, I want to look at these two chapters, Acts 2 and Acts 17, so get ready in your Bibles. We are going to look primarily at Acts chapter 2 this morning. On the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had been given, Peter began to preach a message to the Jews, and he began to explain to them what was going on. Now, If you will look here in verses 22 and 23, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, look at verse 24. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, skip ahead to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just want to say to you today, the Holy Spirit is still here. Amen. Now look at verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many believe we're living in a crooked generation? Okay, now watch verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Everybody say 3,000. Wow. Wouldn't you like to see a move of God like that right here in Phoenix, Arizona? Wouldn't you like to see a move of God like that right here in the United States of America? Do you know that we used to see revivals like that? In the Western world? You can go back in history and you can read about the great Welsh revival in 1904, where over 150,000 people were brought to God and added to the churches in Wales. And what happened is many of the converts of that revival were coal miners. And coal miners, these guys, they were, they were rough and tough, and their language was filthy. 
How many of you ever know somebody, you're just rough and tough, and their language is filthy? And they would curse their, their animals. They would kick and flog their horses and, and beat their mules to make them work. And so revolutionary was the change in the hearts of those coal miners that the horses and mules must have been bewildered. Because no longer did they take a steel rod in their hand and beat them in the back. No longer did they curse them to make them go forward. What those mules and horses heard is these miners began to sing hymns of praise to God. And they would just give them a friendly pat on the back instead of hitting them and cursing them. They didn't know how to work. They had to relearn the righteous way of living. And in the late 1700s, I know you guys have heard this guy's name, but I don't know if you knew that he was this, uh, had this part in his tool belt. In the late 1700s, Daniel Boone invited a Presbyterian preacher named Barton Stone to the Cane Ridge Meeting House in Bourbon County, Kentucky, and it was there that the Red River Revival was experienced. Now hold on to your boots because listen to what, was, what took place there. It was estimated that there were between 20,000 to 30,000 people who came to this outdoor camp meeting where multiple preachers would stand seven at a time sometimes and preach on stumps throughout the camp, preaching all at the same time. And anybody that was close to them could hear what they were saying. And the meeting would last night and day. And one eyewitness wrote this, and I quote, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. I counted seven ministers all preaching at one time, some of them on stumps, others in wagons, and one standing on a tree which had fallen, lodged against another one. Some of the people, they were singing. Other people, they were praying. Some people were crying out for mercy in the most piteous accents, while others were shouting most vociferously. While witnessing these scenes, a peculiarly strange sensation such as I'd never felt before came over me. My heart beat tumultuously. My knees trembled. My lips quivered. And I felt as though I must fall to the ground. And a strange supernatural power seemed to pervade the entire mass of mind there collected. It was God on the scene. There was a revival in England in early 1859 where 100,000 people were saved. This should make a shout. The very year Darwin wrote his book, 1859, 100,000 people came to know Jesus. When Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of Species, you can see, church, the battle in the spirit that is going on. He was waging that same battle. The devil was waging it back then. And he's still waging it today. Are you with me? That's the way the devil works. And I'm sad to say that we are not seeing revivals that impact our culture today where 3,000, 5,000, 100,000, and 150,000 people are coming to Christ. We're not seeing that like we did in the past generations. And what we see is the secularization of our society. What we see today in the statistics that I shared with you last week is the exit of an entire 
generation called millennials, some of you are still here, some of you are still watching online. I'm not talking about all of the millennials, but I'm talking about the, the generation that has the most population in America today are the millennials. And people are attending church less and less year after year. Churches have eliminated services. No more Sunday nights. Why? People didn't show. No more Wednesday nights. Why? A handful of people would show. So I'm going to say this. We are seeing the church in 2023 losing its impact. So we have to ask ourselves, why was there such a response like that in Peter's day? 3,000 souls. Well, Peter, now walk with me on this, he was preaching to the Jews. Now think of this. At that stage of their history, did they believe in God? Did the Jews believe in God? Yes. Did the Jews believe in one God or many gods? The Jews believed in one God, the Lord of Israel. The Lord, He is one. So when Peter said God, do you know what they heard? God. One God. Do you know why I'm emphasizing that to you? I want you to think about this. Even generations ago, and some of you are living today that know this and, 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 and can identify with this, generations ago in America, when you said God, most teachers and students would think of the God of the Bible. In fact, I, if you look up the word God in a modern Webster's Dictionary, you know what you're going to find? You're not going to find it capitalized in the current Webster's Dictionary, but I personally own a copy of the dictionary the original Noah Webster wrote in, published in 1828. And do you know what I find in that dictionary? I find that when you look up the word God, it's got a capital G. Here's how Noah Webster, published 1828, identifies God, noun, the supreme being, Jehovah, the eternal and infinite spirit, the creator and the sovereign of the universe. How many of you can say amen to Brother Noah? God is a spirit, and they that worship, this is in the dictionary, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. Noah actually uses scripture to define God, and then he has a false God, little g, a heathen deity, an idol. So today, when you say God, they say, which God? There are many gods. Do you mean Allah? Do you mean Buddha? Do you mean Samhain? Do you know that's Satan? Do you mean Mother Earth? 
Zeus. Thor. So when you use the word God today, this culture that we live in is not hearing what the culture heard, like I said last week, in Billy Graham's day. The younger generations today have a different language than the older generation does. Am I right? We all still speak English, but the definitions of our words are different. In fact, if you ever talk with a Mormon or somebody that may knock on your door and you say God and you talk about Jesus, well, the Mormon Jesus is not the same as the Christian Jesus. The Mormon Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. How many of you know we don't serve Jesus, the brother of Lucifer? We serve Jesus, the one and only Son of the living God. Are you with me? So, Paul was preaching to people who had a foundation of God. They believed in creation. They believed he created it. They believed in sin. They believed that sin caused death. The Jews believed in one God. They believed that God, he created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. They believed that mankind fell when Adam and Eve in the garden uh, came into sin and death death entered. Now, I want to give you another example, the word story. Noah Webster defined it like this, to tell in historical relation. The word story used to mean history or his story. Maybe you've heard this phrase, his story. Now, what does story in our modern vernacular mean? I'm going to tell you a story. What do you automatically think? It's not going to be true. It's fiction. It's a fairy story. Today, when you say story, people hear fiction, fable, fairy tale. And yet today, in our churches, what do we hear? We say, kids, come on, and I'm going to tell you a Bible story. This culture doesn't understand what you're saying They're hearing something else. They're just thinking about the stories mom and dad tell them at night, so they can't a lot of times differentiate between Jesus, the story, and Peter Pan, the story. So they're hearing increasingly fairy tale. Interesting. So you see, if we don't understand that, we're not going to communicate correctly to them. In fact, there has been such an attack on the Bible as a book of history, particularly in the book of Genesis. We should be saying it this way. I'm going to read you this historical account. That's the way we should refer to it. In our society, they say, well, Pastor, you're, you're really picking hairs here, aren't you? No, I'm not. Because it can start just as small and as, as, as innocent as that. So what we got to do is say, I'm going to read you this historical account. I'm going to read this account of history, this record of history. We actually have to emphasize today that the Bible is a book of history because that's what's come under attack is God's Word. In fact, let me just say this word, race. 
what came to your mind? Let's look at what Noah Webster said about it. The lineage of a family or continued series of descendants from a parent who is called the stock. A race is the series of descendants indefinitely. Thus, all mankind are called the race of Adam. Boy, walk with me on this because this is a hot button today. Race, when you say today race, you automatically think color of skin. Many words like that have changed meaning. And the trouble is, many people in our churches are using the same terminology that uh, we used in the past generations that understood our terminology that this current generation doesn't understand. They don't understand it in the way we're meaning it. So the word Christian is even the same way. How many people do you know that say they're a Christian? But they believe same-sex marriage is okay. They believe abortion is okay. They believe drinking until they're drunk is okay. They believe living together before marriage is okay. They believe not providing for their family is okay. How many of you realize that the Bible says that none of those things are okay? Amen? Now, in the Bible, people were called Christians first in Antioch because the Bible says they recognized them as having been with him, with Jesus. And so they recognized they were acting like Jesus acted. And Jesus, listen, he didn't drink until he was drunk. He didn't okay same-sex marriage. He did not okay adultery. He did not okay fornication. And the true definition of a Christian is this, one who is a real disciple of Christ, one who believes the truth of Jesus' words and studies to follow his example and obey his words. That is the definition of a Christian. And the church somehow has believed that it doesn't matter how I live in private. It doesn't matter if I don't attend church. It doesn't matter if I keep the Lord's portion. And yet we're seeing how much it really does matter by the influence that the church is losing in our culture. Can I get an amen? So what was the stumbling block to the Jews to believe? Well, 1 Corinthians one twenty three says this, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews, guess what that was? It was a stumbling block. But to the Gentiles, it was foolishness. Now look at that. To the Jews, it was only a stumbling block. They can, you can get around a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. They didn't even comprehend who is Jesus. The Jews knew He was the son of Mary and Joseph. They could trace his lineage. They wouldn't believe that he was the son of God because they knew where he came from. And so he was a stumbling block to them, but to the Greeks, it was foolishness. Now, we're next week going to deal in more detail with the Greeks. But what I want to do is I want you to see where the Jews were because that's where America used to be kind of like where the Jews were. To the Jews, the gospel was a stumbling block. The Jews were a 
creation-based culture who misunderstood the terms, or rather, who understood the terms God, sin, and death. But their stumbling block was the message of the Messiah. See, we, we need to understand the Jews, they had the writings of Moses. They knew about the promise that there was a coming Messiah. They had that foundational history, but they rejected that Jesus was that Messiah. Okay? See, the Jews have the right beginning. They have the right foundation. They have the right history. Right now, surrounding this church is the largest Jewish population in the state of Arizona. Cross the street, you will find Jewish people. Down the road, you will find Jewish synagogues. Yesterday, if you're hanging around seeing people walk, you are finding Jew, Jewish people with the kippah, with the tassels, with their at synagogue. They know that there's a God, one God. Neighbors all around us that are Jews know that He is the Creator. But that to the Jews, Jesus, the Messiah, is a stumbling block. So they have the right beginning, they have the right foundation, they have the right history, but the Jews understood the beginning recorded in Genesis, they had the foundation, but they stumbled over what? They stumbled over the cross. They stumbled over Jesus, and many still do today. They, they stumble over Jesus, the cross. I shared with you last week a quote from Yahoo News after the death of Billy Graham, and it said, there will never be another Billy Graham because the world that made him possible is gone. In other words, the generation that then was is no longer. America has changed from an Acts 2 culture to an Acts 17 culture. They understood the terminology. They used to understand God, the creation and sin and death, but not so today because we have, te- we have taught generations and generations and generations. There is no God. He, there is no creator. It is evolution. It was millions of years. Take them down to the Grand Canyon, and you will, you will, you will not find a guide that will tell you that canyon was built, was made quickly. Unless you go with creation scientists. Church, I want you to know that when Mount St. Helens erupted and dams were broken and water flowed out of those dams, that within a 24-hour period there were chasms created thousands of feet deep. Like that. And that was just the lake being opened. The Bible says that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The heavens were opened. The deep was opened. The earth was opened. It split, and there was water coming up. There was water coming down, and it stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed. Think about it. If we had rain for 40 days and 40 nights in Phoenix, Arizona, and you saw people with canoes going down the street, you say, oh, well, we see that in Louisiana. Yeah, what if you saw it in the desert? What, what, what if you saw it in places like on Mount Ararat? What if you saw it up on uh, Mount Everest, which is, what, 29,000 feet? And the Bible says that it was above, in the cubit realm, it was about 30 feet higher than the highest peak. 
that canyon was made quickly. He said, well, you're not a scientist. I don't have to be a scientist. All I have to do is believe that God does what he says he's going to do. But do you know, really, if you get down to it, scientists understand this, and I think in the church people recognize something's happened. But the secularists understand what has happened. Look at this next slide. Back in 2010, secularist magazine Free Inquiry, you read this. A historic transition is occurring, barely noticed, slowly, quietly, imperceptibly. Religion, Christianity is shriveling in America as it already has in Europe, Canada, Australia, across the developed world. Increasingly, supernatural faith belongs to the third world. The first world is entering the long-predicted secular age where science and knowledge dominate. We moved here that year in 2010 when that was written. We're only 13 years past that. A change has occurred. Children today are inundated with secularism at our public schools, and the thing has been brewing under the surface since the 1800s when Darwin popularized evolution and the lie of millions of years was introduced into the world. Then the Church of England adopted the idea of millions of years and evolution, and then that spread to America, and it has infiltrated our public school system. It permeates the news. It permeates the entertainment industry. It's been bubbling under the surface for generations, and now we're seeing our younger generations more secularized, and so it's all been there, and then something happened in America, and it happened in 2006. Do you all mind if I grab a drink of water? The person that helped open up this lid, it was like a lid was opened. And the person that helped open that lid was Barack Obama. When he was Senator Obama back in 2006, he was at a conference, and it was called Building a Covenant for a New America. Check it out. You can Google it. And I don't think most people understood what he meant by a new America. But I will say this. He knew very well what he meant by a new America. And here's what he said at that conference. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. That was one of the mantras of that president. In fact, he said it all over the world. It's in his book, The Audacity of Hope. Whatever we once were, I'm going to say it again, we are no longer, quoting Barack Obama, Whatever we once were, 
We are no longer just a Christian nation. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Now, while what he was saying is this, it's a great thing. We're no longer a nation that just believes in just one God. We're a nation that now has many gods. Are you with me? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, what I've just told you is when you say God, you say that to a secularized culture, they're going to say, what God? But the Jews knew who Peter was preaching. So, we're no longer a nation where many of our founding fathers, uh, where even if they weren't professing Christians, this next slide, they still built their thinking in this nation on the Bible. Many of them were Christian, but they built their thinking on the Bible. And so, to our founding fathers, marriage was between a man and a woman. Can I get an amen? And abortion was murder. Well, next slide. We're a different nation now, he said. So now we have the foundation where man determines truth, and so anything goes. In fact, you say truth, people say, what? What's your truth? Well, my truth is I'm this. Well, my truth is I'm that. No, the truth is God said it. That settles it. Abortion, pornography, remove God, prayer, creation, and the Pledge of Allegiance from our schools. Remove the Ten Commandments from public places. Don't say Merry Christmas. Don't, don't display nativity scenes. Legalize same-sex marriage, except if you believe that any of those things are wrong. Walk with me on this, folks. And you speak up about that, you're wrong. And your truth is intolerant. Now, come on. Am I preaching truth? So now what we have is we have moral relativism running rampant in our society. Moral, rel mor moral relativism basically says there are no absolutes. There's no absolute truth. When you get in your car... I want you to test this one out. Well, I really don't want you to test it out, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you an, an, an example of how not to test this. If you want to test this, then what you do is uh, try that theory out that absolute truth is not, not real. When you go to this next stoplight down here when it's red, um, just go ahead and go right through it. it it's not truth. It's just, it's just a color. It, it, my truth is that red means go. And my truth is that green, I, I don't like the color green, so that means I need to stop. I know you're laughing at me, but you know, that is exactly what has happened to God's word. Right is wrong. Wrong is right. But there's, there's another color there, and it's in the middle 
And it's caution. So the very real truth is, run the red light, and you'll either be hit or you will hit someone. And that's what's happening in America. The people who are believing the lie of this culture are either hitting or being hit. In fact, you could describe our day as it was described in Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every day, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Amen? You see that happen in our world today? You want to know what's happened to America? It's very simple. I'll paraphrase it for you. When you raise up generations and say the Bible is not the absolute authority, that it's not the absolute word of God, and man determines truth, anything goes. And that's exactly how it is in our culture. It's interesting that back in 2009, this was the front page of Newsweek, And the front page of Newsweek read, The Decline and Fall of Christian America. That was one year before we came here. And inside there was an article, and it was called this, The End of Christian America. And there was one sentence that stood out, and here it is. The present in this sense, is less about the death of God and more about the birth of many gods. Instead of one God, there are many gods. And we had a president that trumpeted the thought. And church, just as man after the flood in Genesis 11, determined that they were going to build a building that reached up to heaven in Babel. And the leader Nimrod was a wicked man who married his own mother. God said, look at mankind. They are of one mind, and they are of one voice, one language. And do you know what, church? While they're building that tower of Babel, God said, let us go down and confuse their language. Because he said, they're of one mind, and they're of one voice. And nothing will be impossible for them. When you get one mind and you get one voice and you no longer have a voice opposing that voice, evil can run rampant. 
but God's got a way to confuse the works of the devil. I got news for you. You can't live any old way you want. In America, people say, well, I'm free. Yeah, you're free. But I'll tell you what, you're free. You're free, but you can't just go out and do anything. You get like running that red light. Are you free to do that? Sure, you can do that. But is there a consequence? Absolutely. Is there a consequence to the sin we see happening in America? Absolutely. But here's what, here's what I do know, and I want to leave you with some good news. And that is this. God does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance, to, the, to the, the, the truth of the gospel, which is good news that Jesus Christ sees the sin, knows what you're tempted in, was in every way tempted just like you are, yet was without sin because the Holy Spirit was upon him and he chose God's way, not his way. In fact, when he's in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood for you and for me, he's saying, God, if there is any other way for this to happen, let it happen, but not my will, but yours be done. And I don't want to be a bearer of bad news. I want to be a bearer of good news. And Jesus is the answer. But church, before, before we can truly offer that to people, they have to know there is, there is a sin, there's sin that separates us from God. That there are things that, that we do. There are things that we think. There are things in America that we are, that we are embracing. that God judged other cultures for and removed them from. It's like Billy Graham said, if God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we have to have that foundation. I know to you, I'm preaching to the choir. But we got to have the choir know what they believe, know why they believe, and know how to take what they believe and talk to the people in the world that have no clue. And you have to be bold. The Bible says we are bold as a lion. In church, the Bible says the lion backs down to no one. In fact, if a lion finds you alone, you're his lunch. Just saying. Don't call him the king of the beasts for nothing. If you are alone with a lion, that lion's going to come after you. And that's what the devil does. He tries to come after you. He knows who he's seeking, someone who he can devour. And he's seeking. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're Jesus. He doesn't care if you're Peter. He doesn't care if you're Paul. He, is, he came after all of them. And he's coming after us today. And we have got to take a stand, and I would be remiss in my responsibilities and my duties as a pastor in 2023 if I did not say to you and equip you and give you the tools in which to take the gospel and help you do what Jesus said to do, to go into all the world and preach my gospel to all creation. And it happens right here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. Yeah, we're going out to the world. Via, via the internet. But church, we got people all around us right now. We're rubbing shoulders with. Amen? And God wants to use you. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you the presence of the Holy Spirit everywhere you go. Would you stand to your feet today?
Those of you at home, please join us in prayer. Everybody in this place, please bow your heads. Pray this prayer with me out loud. Heavenly Father, empower me to do what you've called me to do. Help me grasp the enormity of what we're surrounded with. And give me the anointing that breaks the yoke of any bondage, of any intimidation, of any fear, of any worry that would hinder me from doing what I'm called to do. And help me be an example of you to those around me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Did you get something out of that? Next week, we're going to then now find out how to go deep and how to reach the Greek or those that don't even know what we're talking about. Amen. See you that, that day. God bless you. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord Were you to count my sins